sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Do you think you might have migraine? Talk to your healthcare professional about your symptoms, the number of days they impact your life, and which treatment options might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com and the American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at AmericanBrainFoundation.org. Rethreaded offers hope and a fresh start to survivors of human trafficking right here in Jacksonville. None of us should be defined by the worst things that happen to us. Learn more about how you can unlock the potential of survivors at rethreaded.com and by Norellis, a leading neuroscience company focused on the development and commercialization of therapeutics for the treatment of epilepsy and other neurologic disorders. The company's unique drug portfolios strive to address unmet needs in patient care. Learn more at norellis.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Servin, a practicing neurologist and professor of healthcare science. This is What's Health Got to Do With It, which looks at where and how healthcare intersects with your life, helping you get the medical answers you want. Coming up, how can the community help fight chronic diseases like diabetes? Then, maybe healthcare should be treating heart disease like cancer. Our guest has a tantalizing new book that argues that very point. But first, in our ongoing series on managing chronic diseases, we're thrilled to explore the pivotal role played by community organizations. Picture this as your roadmap to healthier living with a special spotlight on the incredible work being done right here in our own community. Today, we're diving into a topic close to our hearts, how our community organizations like the YMCA are making a real impact on managing chronic diseases. We're joined by an expert who's at the forefront of this movement. Joining us now in studio is Connie Smith. She is Director of Community Integrated Health Programs at the First Coast YMCA. Connie it is a pleasure to have you here in studio with us. Thank you, Dr. Joe, for having me. It is great to have you and see you here. So, Connie, we're talking today about how the community can help in managing oh, the so many chronic conditions that we deal with. Can you share some insights into how organizations like yours, the YMCA, are actively involved in managing chronic diseases, and I mentioned diabetes. Mm-hmm. I threw in heart disease because we're going to be talking to a cardiologist a little later on, but can you kind of share some of those insights? Yeah, so one of the principles, um, we have three principles for the YMCA in general across the entire mission, which is a worldwide mission. It is social responsibility, youth development, and healthy living. And so underneath that healthy living pillar, the principle, is where chronic disease management comes in. So the Y has been known for years and years and years as the individuals that people come to for their health and fitness. So you go to the gym um, and you work out on an elliptical or treadmill or take a class. Um, And reality, we actually go a step further. And that is uh, some of the evidence-based programs that we have um, that really truly focus on in on chronic disease programs. It talks about, you know, how do we fight um, diabetes? Well, we have a diabetes prevention program. It's an entire year-long program that is offered not just to members, but to everyone in the community. It gives you all of the tools that you need to be able to prevent diabetes. And even better, it is CDC recognized. Um, So not every Y has it. The First Coast YMCA is an association that does have it. We are CDC recognized. Um, It is the CDC's um, curriculum that we go through in the entire year. And due to many of different things that we have from a community-based, um, many a times we can offer it at a discount um, or at no cost to folks in the community that can come in and, and kind of like turn back the time on type 2 diabetes, which we all know isn't something that you can do overnight. Um, and so that's why it's an entire year-long program. That is amazing. And I did not realize that it's how the CDC curriculum is built into this. Uh, before I go back to diabetes, which I'm going to spend a little time on, 
Um, are there, what are the other chronic diseases that there are programs for that uh, you're also, at, that the YMCA is involved in? Yep. So we have our diabetes prevention program. Okay. We have our Live Strong at the YMCA program, which is a cancer reclaim okay. your life program. A lot of people don't think of it as cancer or as chronic disease, but it, it is, is a function of chronic disease. We have our hypertension blood pressure self-monitoring program, which is a four-month program. Um, as you walk out of a, a doctor's office and they tell you you have hypertension, you go, <laughs> yeah. what am I supposed to do now? Right. Um, and they, they may give you some medicine, but how do you know whether or not that medicine actually works? So that is showing you how to use a um, blood pressure cuff, um, monitor your your um, blood pressure, show you you know what can affect your blood pressure, what cannot. It, at times, it will turn you into going back to see that physician to say, you know what, my medicine's not working. Here's the proof that shows that it's not working or it's working too well. Um, and it, it, we've also had cases where we recognized in that program that somebody was having a hypertension event um, and they have what we call the EMT. Um, immediately to make sure that they are treated um, as quickly as possible. We have our arthritis management um, and also fall prevention program. So that's our enhanced fitness program. So um, that's a 16-week evidence-based program where you come in and you exercise three times a week uh, and you work towards strengthening the core. You work towards strengthening the heart. Um, it is done in a manner where it doesn't hurt the fingers and the hands or anything like that from an arthritis standpoint. Um, and so that is one of the the fall prevention helps you so that you are able to get out of a chair um, with no problems at all. And people need that, um, even starting at sure. the age of 50. Um, so we also have... Um, those are the big ones um, sure. that we have. We also have a program called Exercise as Medicine. Um, so if you're not doing exercise right now and you somebody says, you know what, you need to go and exercise. Well, how do I know what to do with that? Um, the WISE 12-week program will actually get you started on getting 150 minutes of exercise. It's with somebody um, who is a trained uh, personal trainer and exercise is science degree. And they can go in and help you get that 150 minutes of exercise that works for you starting slowly um, to actually change back the time, which also fights diabetes, which fights hypertension. It's all of the above, and it's a physician-required referral program that we have. Um, the Y also offers a 12-week weight loss program. So if you're actually looking for that weight loss piece of it, you're doing really good, but you're not really sure where uh, to go next. We have a 12-week evidence-based program. It talks about mindfulness, positive attitudes, um, you know, what to eat. Uh, you may already have the the tools, but it's making those decisions to make sure that you're doing the right things when you walk into uh, the grocery store or having a plate sit in front of you. You know, it's the same thing with exercise. Uh, am I doing the right thing when I go to, to exercise? Am I parking far enough away? Um, and those evidence-based programs can help with that too. I am so impressed. I, I have probably been a lifelong member of the YMCA, but I did not know to the degree that the YMCA was really involved in health care, uh, especially if you have like prescription-based exercise programs and things of that sort. That's incredible. Let me kind of drill down a little bit. Um, one of the areas of chronic diseases uh, to which Northeast Florida has been very uh, unfortunate to have uh, going in the wrong direction is diabetes. And, and we need to do more shows on diabetes, uh, no to our producer, uh, as uh, something that is a big issue uh, that we haven't covered. What is happening with the rate of diabetes here in Northeast Florida? Yeah. So, well, let's talk about in general. One in three Americans um, are pre-diabetic or at risk of having type 2 diabetes. Most of them don't even know that. That's 86 million people that are pre-diabetic. Wow. Most of them don't even know it. So wow. in the state of Florida, 9.5% uh, of Floridians were diagnosed with diabetes in 2020. That was before the pandemic. So that number is going to come up um, quite a bit. We'll start to see that. In Duval County, so the First Coast YMCA serves five counties. Right. So we serve Duval, Nassau, Baker, Clay, and St. John's. Mm -hmm. um, in Duval, Baker, and Clay County, close to 12% of adults age 20 plus were diagnosed with diabetes in 2019. Uh, we're doing a little bit better in Nassau County and St. John's County with only 8%, but still 8% of adults were, were diagnosed with diabetes. So those are the people who are actually diagnosed. Wow. Um, Baker County 
And Clay County have 36% of their adults are with prediabetes. Did you say 36%? 36% in Baker and Clay County have prediabetes. And Duval County, it's 34%. So we're doing a little bit more better in Duval County, but not really. It's a uh, huge number. Yeah, and it's it's much higher than the average across all of Florida, which is 29% for diabetes or prediabetes. And that's just type 2 diabetes. Um, so type 2 diabetes has the ability to actually just losing 7% of your weight, doing 150 minutes of exercise can turn back the clocks. Um, and so it's just having those tools. What do I do? Uh, what do I do if I'm prediabetic? What if the doctor says that I'm prediabetic? Um, um, what what do I do? And that's where the why comes in. And I want to point out, because I know people have reached out to me. Thank you for making that distinction. The type 1 diabetes is a different mm-hmm. issue altogether. It, it, it does not necessarily have this weight. I mean, it's good to be healthy and right. all, but it's a different issue. It's a completely different issue. It usually goes to folks that are a little on the younger side. So that's the youth. Um, but there are some things that are as part of being pre-diabetic or getting type 2 diabetes that you have a higher chance. So if you're a woman over the age of, of 40, um, you have a higher percentage of uh, the risk of getting um, type 2 diabetes. Women who are in menopause have an even higher risk of getting type 2 diabetes. If you've ever been diagnosed with gestational diabetes when you were pregnant, higher risk of getting um, diabetes, a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, any of those with um, diabetes, then you're, you're higher again. So as you continuously click the box, the higher percentage of getting risk of, of getting type 2 diabetes gets higher and higher. And then the one that can... Um, the two that actually can be reversed pretty quickly is um, being diagnosed with high blood pressure and having a BMI over 25. Okay. And BMI being the body mass index. Body mass index. Yes. Um, So that's taking your weight and your height um, and putting it all together to figure out what that percentage is. You mentioned a lot of the programs that the YMCA has devoted to chronic diseases. Now, um, I listened to that and maybe because I'm a neurologist, I did not know about them. So my question is, how does the YMCA collaborate with the local healthcare providers, whether it's hospital systems or clinic systems or uh, private uh, doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs, to know that you guys are doing this? This Because this is something I don't think I, I, maybe I'm, maybe they all know, but can you comment about that collaboration? Yeah, so that's kind of why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> okay. and, and I'm in the, that position to be able to have that. Um, so if you're looking at the First Coast YMCA and you pull up to our Winston Family YMCA, we actually have a healthy living center. Um, and in that healthy living center is the Brooks Rehab. It's Florida Blue Health um, Insurance. It is the Baptist Healthy Living Center. Those collaborations with medical partners and insurance companies help us to get the word out just a little bit more. So going into a healthy living center, um, they're going to send you over to the Y because they know about those programs. So that's, that's kind of where I start. Um, Baptist Healthy or the Baptist North is actually in a Baptist um, facility. Our Nocatee facility is also in a Baptist facility as well. So it's having those conversations with those doctors. Um, we're starting to do a little bit more with community health detailing where we're kind of taking that and across the Y in general and the movement, it's taking that same philosophy that the or the um, pharmaceutical companies had going out to physicians, sitting down with them to tell them all of the great programs that we have, that all of these are, are offered, you know, at a financial assistance. Um, they're sometimes they're offered for free out of grant funding and things like that. And it's just making sure that everybody knows that. Um, we have, uh, with some of our medical partners here in the Jacksonville area, we are in their EMR system. So we're in their electronic medical record systems, where all the physician has to do is press a button, and it allows them to send the referral off to the YMCA. We get that referral, we call the individual up for whatever program it is. Um, and we know that they're cleared to be able to do that. That goes into that um, exercises medicine program where it allows them to send a physician referral um, form over. We can do that for all of our programs as well. 
It's also us going to other community-based programs, um, volunteers in medicine, agape, all of those, and talking to them and letting them know that we have the program and then hoping that the individual you talk to tells everybody else as well. (laughs) Understood. And to all of our listeners out there, you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9. I'm Dr. Joe Servan, and if you're just joining us, we're talking about how the community can help manage chronic diseases. And we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for future shows, tag me at X at Jay Servan. Can you elaborate or share success stories? Uh, I, I love hearing all these programs, but I think people really connect with those personal stories that that you could share uh, with us? Yeah, so many of our programs are done and they're facilitated in small groups. So it's making the connections with the individuals who are going through the exact same thing that you're going through. It's so as you're meeting in a diabetes prevention program, the individual that's sitting next to you also may not make the same decisions that you make or they may have changed um, and tried a different class. Um, so maybe they're exercising a little bit different, they're walking around, it gives you a little bit of ideas. Um, they're usually done by, all of our programs are facilitated by people who are certified to be able to do all of those programs. Um, Every single one of our programs is evidence-based, which means that we always have the start and the finish line. So we know exactly where you were when you started, and we can show you where you were when you finished. With diabetes, we have a couple of programs that are going on right now, and the individuals are already within a six-week period of time. They're already losing 4 and 5% of that body weight. The goal of that program is 7% after an entire year. But making the small, tiny changes, they're right. starting to see what they can do, and it, it, we don't give you all the information all at once. It is changing your attitude, changing your activity, writing things down, just positive thinking about things or sleep hygiene and all of those programs. One of the programs that I I think is the best from an evidence base that we can see is there's an individual um, who has come into our enhanced fitness class, which is that fall prevention. Okay. At a couple of our locations, we use an electronic gym, which is called eGym, that allows us to see what people's bio ages are from start to finish. And we are averaging right now an eight-year change in their bio rate for their core and a seven-year percent or seven years taken off of their lower body. Um, and that bio age. So you may be going from, you know, at the age of 68, now you're headed down to, and your strength of your uh, of your legs, you're actually headed down to a 60-year-old. Um, and that's wow. the ability that we can see. And then people are seeing the functional fitness. They can get out of the car easily. They can actually get out of chairs at restaurants a little bit easier as well. I get videos all the time um, from folks that are like, I, couldn't, I could not stand up without using the, um, the size of a chair. And now I can do that on an easy basis. And so they're seeing that there is the the little changes in the functional fitness that you have at home and the things that you're doing on a daily basis are making changes um, just by doing these programs. I think that is so cool, the idea that you can electronically put an age on your activity and you can see if you can almost like a, a fountain of youth. Yeah. Right. Uh, to take you back down. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, sometimes it's uh, eye opening because you may be a, a 50 year old who has the body of an 88 year old when we first start out. <laughs> uh, um, no, and then no, after no. 16 weeks, we try and get you back to that 50 year old. But, you know, as you lower that, um, any of those things that you're doing can help also help with, di- you know, prediabetes and the, uh, the risk that you have for hypertension, um, cancer and all of those things, too. And with our cancer program, we can see um, we also look at not just the physical things. We also look at your mental um, mental sure. health. You know, how are you doing when it comes to being able to, you know, vacuum? How are you doing when you want to leave the house? Is there something that's making you not want to do that? Um, my favorite story is from um, one of our participants in the Live Strong program where she cried the entire time that she was going through treatments. She sat there, she rang the bell and sat with her um, social worker and she said, what do I do next? And the, and the social worker looked at her and said, you go to the Y. And she b- <laughs> wow. was bawling her eyes out. Um, she called me uh, after that program and she said, I never cried after I I started the Live Strong at the YMCA program because it completely changed my life. That that is uh, th- that is amazing testament. Uh, when I listen to this, uh, you mentioned that one of the issues, if you will, is letting people know that this exists. Is that the main barrier to having a lot more people there, or are there other 
challenges and barriers in terms of spreading this word out to everybody? Yeah, so that is one of the the main chair, you know, for from the why standpoint, um, it is getting the word out. It is making sure that the individuals who we are talking to about this are not just looking at themselves. Um, they're looking at family members. They're looking at their neighbors. They're looking at the individuals who are at church and say, "Hey, I just got diagnosed with with diabetes, or I have hypertension." Hey, did you know that there is a why program that's available? Now, other things that we're also trying to make sure that uh, when we're fighting chronic disease, um, is is that we're breaking down the social determinants of health, um, you know, access to health care. We, if you don't have access to health care, the Y is one of those locations that you can go to for these programs that give you a little bit more access to health care. We're also working with physicians to do that. Um, you know, other social determinants of health are food deserts. You know, we talk to individuals um, who are part of these programs and we provide them with incentives and things like that to keep them going. Um, and sometimes that is, you know, gift cards to buy healthy foods and things like that. We also have nutritionists on staff who will tell them, who will work with them on the areas that are around them. So we have a lot of food deserts here in Jacksonville, and that is one of the reasons that we have a lot more high propensity of um, diabetes and prediabetes. Um, you know, we, we can't at the Y, oh, no. uh, you know, no. we can't build a grocery store, but we can bring in food programs for people. Um, and so some of our locations do have a uh, food pantries on site um, so that you can come over to get those healthy foods uh, to go along with it. We also do referrals over to things like the JTA so that they make sure that we have they have transportation to be able to go over to the Y as well. And then um, we also offer third-party memberships where your insurance, Medicare and Medicaid are paying for your your membership into the Y. Um, so that's a huge barrier as well because financially sometimes yeah, um, the, the Y can be a, you know a, a little too expensive. We offer um, financial assistance, but also Medicare and Medicaid will also put a benefit in for your fitness. And then you can, you start to learn a little bit more about these programs as well. One of the things that I know just from being a doctor is that everyone is always on a spectrum. So whether you're in the diabetes or cancer, there are some very sick, there's some that are doing pretty well. My question is, how do you tailor the program to the person? Yeah. Uh, so many of the programs uh, are extra if they're exercise based. Uh, we actually do a health um, history beforehand for most of our programs. Uh, you fill that out. You tell us where you've had issues. We talk to you about goals and things like that as well um, to make sure that we are targeting or we are tailoring it to you so that if you have mobility issues, we know exactly what that is, what those mobility issues are. And then we don't press you to do something that you shouldn't do um, and make things worse. Um, those pre-assessments that we go through as well will let us know what um, limitations somebody has. Um, and we often just sit down just having a conversation with somebody, uh, asking them, you know, do you have access to health care? Do you have access to, to food? Do you have access um, to transportation to get here? And how do we break down those barriers to ensure that you can be here? Looking ahead, what are, what are the big aspirations for the role of the YMCA and other organizations in managing these chronic diseases. Well, I think that everyone at the Y and YUSA, which is our, our our governing body, will tell you that we want to be the place that everyone turns to. Um, we want to have somebody um, sit down and say, hey, you know, in a physician's office or with their, their RN or their APRN, and they say to the individual, hey, you have diabetes, go. I'm sending you over to the Y. Go see them. Um, be a part of these programs. We want to be able to break down those barriers as well, as well from a standpoint of how do I afford it um, by having the funding to be able to offer these programs to people for free, um, especially if they can't be able to do it. I mean, uh, I believe someone asked me a couple of years ago when I got into this role, what do you really want? And I said to cure diabetes and hypertension. It's a part of my family. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, I've seen the effects of it and I, as well as cancer. I mean, every single one of these has affected my family. Um, and so it's a personal thing, but I don't also want to see my neighbor have to go through anything. Sure. I don't want to have the the medical bills where you have to make a decision. Am I eating or am I paying this medical bill in the same manner that am I eating or am I paying my electric bill? It's the same thing. We don't want anybody to have to worry about those kind of things. And if there is a cure for diabetes, hypertension and cancer that's out there, 
I would love to be able to find that so that we don't have to have these programs. <laughs> Amen to all of that. For in our last moment, individuals that are listening out there, they may want to join these programs, whether it's a diabetes or arthritis or blood pressure or weight loss or all the other amazing programs you're offering. If they're interested in joining these programs, what walk us through the steps that they can take and what resources are available to them. Yep. So our website is always up to date. So you can always find us at www.fcymca.org um, and find that Healthy Living page. You'll be able to see all of the locations uh, or all of the programs that we have in all of the locations that are available. The other step that I would tell you to do is walk into a YMCA. Don't feel as though you have to actually like join the YMCA, um, but ask them about the programs that they have to offer. Um, check with your neighbor who is uh, always going to the Y. You know, you see them always out uh, headed off to the Winston YMCA every single morning. Check with them to see if they know of any of the programs that are happening or just email me um, at myhealth at ymca.org and we will get you into the right programs that you need to be a part of. And then the second thing to do is talk to your physicians. Um, tell your physicians that you heard this program and you want everyone to be to know um, and ensure that the physicians know that the Y offers these programs so that they can start referring their other patients that are a part of it. I love it. Connie, I want to thank you so much uh, for all the work you do and for joining us in studio today. Uh, You've got me motivated to do some stuff. Uh, I'm excited. Thanks so much. Yeah. Just remember, the why is so much more than a gym. Um, And that's really what our motto is, is that you don't have to come here just to work out. There's so much more to do at the why. We've been talking to Connie Smith. She is Director of Community Integrated Health Programs at the First Coast YMCA. Up next, a Stanford University cardiologist says we should be fighting heart disease like cancer. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Joe Servin, and this is What's Health Got to Do With It. Today we've got an important conversation that may spark a paradigm shift in how we tackle heart disease. Renowned Stanford cardiologist Dr. Michael McConnell has penned a revolutionary book published by Hopkins Press called Fight Heart Disease Like Cancer, suggesting we approach heart disease with the same vigor as we do cancer. So what does this new frontier of cardiovascular health look like? Well, our next guest should know. In 2015, he joined Google Alphabet leading cardiovascular and digital health projects, including development, validation, and FDA clearances for mobile wearable devices and software with Verily, Google Health, and Fitbit. He was then chief medical officer at Identify Health, leveraging AI and retinal imaging for early detection and prevention of cardiometabolic diseases. Dr. McConnell is currently an advisor for multiple digital health and AI companies and continues to see patients in the Stanford Preventive Cardiology Clinic and is a mentor at Stanford Biodesign Program as well. Dr. McConnell was appointed by the Secretary of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to the Board of Directors of the National Fitness Foundation. He joins us now from Palo Alto to help explain his new book. Dr. McConnell, welcome to our program. Thanks so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. It's so good to have you here. Love your book. You know, your book proposes fighting heart disease akin to cancer. I love that because I know the moment I say cancer to somebody, everyone immediately runs to to kind of, number one, almost panic. Number two, to kind of then get connected to a network of help. What inspired you to pitch this for cardiovascular disease? And how is it different from, let's say, someone having a heart attack and they want to get help anyway? 
Yeah, great question. And I mean, I, I love how you introduced it, that uh, I think we've all experienced both professionally and personally that when the topic of cancer comes up, people take that much more seriously. You get a lot more input from the medical community, friends and family to help you through it uh, and make sure you get the best care. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's the big message around heart disease is it's killing more people than cancer, but we're not really treating it, as you said, with sort of the vigor or seriousness um, that we do with cancer. You know, the initial sort of inspiration for thinking of trying to write a book to let more people know about heart disease and, and how to take it more seriously, you know, was sadly my father-in-law had a heart attack and sudden cardiac death, um, you know, when my daughters were only 10 and 13, and it was very hard to see, <clears throat> you know, him taken away from us and from my, my daughters. You know, in, in still a prime stage of his scientific career, he was ironically a specialist, well-known, written many books on biomarkers for early detection of cancer and was actually also investigating early biomarkers of heart disease. But despite all of our conversations, um, really didn't take his risk for heart disease seriously enough. And in one of the ways that heart disease is worse than cancer, you know, it can, it can get you suddenly like it did with him, you know, no real strong symptoms in advance. And, you know, had a heart attack out of the blue after giving a lecture. Um, so, you know, that, that was an initial motivation, but I think the, the bigger thing that happened from that time period is there's so much more in the scientific literature on the overlap between heart disease and cancer. And there's so much we can learn from how cancer care is given uh, that can improve how we deliver heart disease care, particularly the prevention screening and treatment so people never have a heart attack or, you know, as you well know, the overlap with risk for stroke too. So really preventing heart attacks and strokes and learning how to do that is the key message of the book. I love it. And I, I'm so sorry uh, for the loss of uh, your father-in-law there. I, uh, that's just terrible. And I can understand how this could lead uh, to this quest of writing this excellent book. Can you elaborate, though, on the role that you would see? How how would you envision uh, the healthcare of of heart health looking like from, let's say, someone having a heart attack, or maybe way before someone had an event? How would how would the medicine healthcare look like in that situation, based on what you're thinking? Yeah, I think. One of the challenges about heart disease and, you know, another aspect that's part of my journey was I started as an engineer. So I, you know, got interested in the heart from very early on. And in many ways, it's, you know, we think of it very much as an engineering kind of problem or issue. Um, <clears throat> and so the conventional view of heart disease is you get these plaques that build up in your heart arteries um, that can then narrow the blood vessels and you know give you chest pain and then ultimately a heart attack. So we think of it as sort of this slow plumbing problem. Um, but my father-in-law's case is a perfect example where the reality is it's it's a biologic and disease where plaques, the original term for them was actually a tumor. So these plaques grow inside our arteries. We don't feel them. We can't sense them. Uh, and then one day they can rupture or burst and cause a heart attack suddenly. So the biggest goal is sort of shifting people's mindset or view to understand what the science has been telling us and pathologists have been telling us for a long time, which is that it's a biologic problem. These plaques are growing inside our heart um, and so we need early detection. If we find them, we need to approach them aggressively 
and vigorously like we do with cancer so that we stop and reverse the disease before we even get to a heart attack or stroke. It makes so much sense to me. I, I The moment I think something growing inside of me, I immediately, I want that out. Uh, I imagine in heart disease, it, the way you describe it, that it's almost the same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, unfortunately, we've focused a lot on what I would call sort of late stage or end stage disease. People think, well, do I have a narrowing in the artery? Um, and in some ways, like cancer, right, it, it can grow for a while. And before it would cause symptoms or pain somewhere, we don't want to wait till it gets to it's a narrowing in the artery. We want to get it when it's still, you know, in an earlier phase where it's more reversible. Uh, and I think that, so, you know, I when we talk about risk factors and what we can do on the prevention side, you know, I, I also reframe that it's important to think that these risk factors like high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol, they're really, you know, growth factors. They're the things that driving these plaques to grow and, and you know, I ended up having to, as you said, people understand the communication seriousness around cancer and when you reframe it, that these are growths that can actually become more malignant and can kill you more quickly. And we have the tools and technologies and therapies to reverse that and, and make the disease much more benign. Um, we just need to recognize that and really start the whole process much earlier. One of the things that we talk a lot about this show is the healthcare of of whatever condition we're talking about, because it's not just about knowing the science and what we need to do, but the whole system around us. How can the system, the medical community, policymakers work to reshape the narrative in the way that you state for heart disease uh what what are the what can they do what are what are those barriers that need to be changed to make this happen yeah i mean i think you you've probably uh you know had conversations that um putting a lot of time and energy into the prevention side unfortunately has not been sort of the traditional way the medical system has approached things where we were all very much trained, honestly, to deal with complex, acute problems when people get sick. And there's been less emphasis on how do we spend the time and energy and work with our patients much earlier around the prevention stages. So, you know, we are seeing some shift to more what people would call value-based care, where you're not um, just paid for doing a test or a procedure, but actually for spending the time and benefiting when you can meet quality metrics and keep people healthy. So that, you know, continuing that shift is going to be important because that would emphasize the, the value uh, exactly in value-based care of keeping people healthy. Um, and, you know, as, as part of it, we go through and I, I, try to specifically have some sections to help people understand, you know, what's the guidelines around the prevention? How can we do a better job of screening? And then, you know, current and, and uh, emerging approaches to treatment um, that can really help stop or reverse heart disease. If you had to give advice to the general public on the prevention part of heart disease that is how to prevent it what what's the big thing you would want us all to do now if we're listening to this that would help to really move the needle in reducing the amount of heart disease we see in the u.s i think the biggest issue is people really knowing their numbers and knowing their risk one of one of the great things about a lot of the science and, and guidelines that have been developed for heart disease is we make it very personalized. Yeah. So we don't 
have a simple at a certain age, you've got a mammogram or a colonoscopy like in cancer. Um, it actually takes into account your individual risk factors, your individual numbers. But that same complexity means that a lot of people don't know their risk factors, they don't know their numbers, and so they're not getting the care they need uh, until it's late. Dr. McConnell, can you clarify for us what you mean by know your numbers? What are you referring to? Oh, sure. Thanks. Um, so a couple of the big ones, the, the ones that I call sort of the big three growth factors um, are your blood cholesterol, your blood pressure, and your blood glucose. A lot of people have elevated cholesterol numbers or have high blood pressure or have diabetes or prediabetes and don't even know it. So that's sort of a key first step. And then those numbers actually go into a risk score that we use to personalize your care. So uh, the Heart Association has actually just released a, a new risk score called PREVENT. Um, and uh, so it takes those numbers, puts them together, and says, you know, whether you're low, medium, or high risk for heart disease. Um, and I think one of the other topics in the book is in the guidelines, if you're medium risk, which many people fall into that group, we do have some additional options like getting a coronary calcium scan to see if you do have the early plaque buildup in your heart arteries um, as an indicator that it makes sense to move on to you know, more vigorous preventive therapy. One of the biggest things that has come up recently is our focus on underserved communities and health equity. How does this approach factor in disparities in heart health in underserved communities? Yeah, and that's a super important question. You know, back in actually January 2020, we released uh, Heart Association guidance that really incorporated health equity if we're going to improve the health of our country and of our world. Um, and that was coming out literally just as, you know, COVID was accelerating in the U.S., um, and as many people know, COVID really brought even further to light the disparities in healthcare, particularly around a lot of these big three risk factors we talked about, um, that uh, in many underserved communities and in um, uh, areas where there's uh, challenges around social determinants of health, there's much higher rates of hypertension and diabetes, which ended up not only a risk factor for heart disease, but a risk for dying from COVID. So, you know, the Heart Association actually then came out with a, you know, more urgent call for health equity. Um, and even this basic issue of knowing your risk, you know, knowing your numbers, knowing your risk score, the data are pretty clear that under diagnosis of high blood pressure and diabetes is more common in underserved communities. The likelihood that you'll get a risk score done and be put on preventive therapy is lower in underserved communities. Um, and I mentioned there's an update with the, the Heart Association's risk score, which now actually includes zip code as, an, as one marker of social determinants of health to better sort of elevate that risk issue uh, and improve and, and you know, promote equity in, in heart disease prevention. Do you have any case studies or pilot programs that exemplify your approach in terms of showing its case uh, success, if you will, if a uh, proof of concept? Uh, do you have any of those you could share? Um, you know, in the, in the book, I, include quite a number of family stories as well as patient stories. Um, actually, I, I talk about uh, myself and my wife as uh, case examples where, uh, you know, 
following the approach of looking at our risk scores and in my wife's case, as, as mentioned, her, you know, her father had a heart attack and uh, her, her mother had a small stroke when she was uh, not very old. So even though my wife's numbers in many ways were better than my numbers in terms of you know, getting in her 10,000 steps and cholesterol and blood pressure with her family history, you know, we did a calcium score and she had a very high level. And that was, you know, a, a great thing to find early so that she could get on preventive therapy. In my case, I, you know, have a genetic risk factor, what I describe in more detail called lipoprotein little a. Uh, and so I got a calcium score because of that risk, but my score initially was zero. And that actually let me defer, you know, preventive therapy until I turned 60. And at that point, you know, the, the numbers were adding up that it made sense for me. So um, I think the, the other uh, great example in the book is a, you know, longstanding patient of mine who really understood the seriousness uh, of approaching his risk factors and his heart disease when uh, you know he learned he had to take over the care of his granddaughter. Uh, at that stage, he had high blood pressure, he had diabetes, his primary care doctor had told him that he was gonna need to start insulin injections for his diabetes. And you know he, he saw that if he didn't get serious about his heart disease risk factors, that he wouldn't be able to take care of his granddaughter. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he got back in those days, it was a pedometer, but he got a pedometer, got himself, you know, <clears throat> walking regularly, improved his diet, lost weight, was actually able to get off his blood pressure medicines, off his diabetes medicines. Of course, we kept him on his preventive cholesterol lowering medicine. And, you know, here he is, these many, many years later, is able to watch his, you know, daughter grow up, graduate from school, and uh, sorry, his granddaughter. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, you know, I tried to put in the book that between uh, a number of different patients who've had successful outcomes, uh, as well as how we've tried to help, uh, you know, across our, our family and friends. One of the questions that often comes up anytime there's a paradigm shift or proposal has to do with money. Um, and I guess I wonder how would you address the question of what impact would this approach have on healthcare costs and the broader economic landscape? Uh, should it switch to a model similar to cancer? Well, I think because the emphasis here is really trying to up-level our, you know, prevention, screening, and treatment so that people never have to come into the hospital for a procedure or for a heart attack or stroke, that, <clears throat> that the cost savings would be quite substantial. Um, and, you know, as much as I'm proposing this as a paradigm shift, uh, it still, you know, uses a lot of the technologies we have in front of us of tracking things like blood pressure and glucose and cholesterol. And we have lots, and the majority of the preventive medicines are all generic and so relatively low cost. So, uh, you know, the, the opportunity is definitely to, to substantially lower costs. Um, but we do need a shift that then rewards physicians or clinicians broadly for spending the time on the prevention side and not simply focused on, you know, when people get sick uh, and come into the hospital. So that's where, you know, the earlier conversation emphasizing more value-based um, reimbursement approaches um, because the, you know, the value both for the healthcare system cost and for the patient uh, is very clear. 
in our final moment, uh, Dr. McConnell, uh, looking ahead, what do you hope our listeners and your readers take away from your book and how can they actively contribute to reshaping our approach to heart health? Yeah, I mean, a big reason I did the book was uh, really to try to help everybody who reads it learn more and learn a more modern approach to understanding heart disease and empowering them in their own care. Uh, so I very much hope that, you know, whether it's a patient story, a family story, or one of the stories about this, the science and research that helps people uh, really get empowered around their own health and, you know, those around them. I want to thank you so much, Dr. McConnell, uh, for this exceptional book and your work and for giving us your time today. This is fascinating, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. Oh, I really appreciate the time, and uh, yeah, I'm excited uh, to get the word out and uh, excited for the potential impact that can have for all of us. Indeed, as are we. We've been talking to Stanford cardiologist, Dr. Michael McConnell. He's penned a revolutionary book published by Hopkins Press called Fight Heart Disease Like Cancer. Well, that's our program for today. We hope you've enjoyed our show. If you missed anything, you can listen to the full episode at WJCT.org and on your favorite podcast app. Thanks to all of our guests. Our executive producer is David Luckin. Stacey Bennett is our producer. Brady Corum is our director. Next week's program is a look at maternal mental health and the mental health benefits of gratitude. If you have questions about this or any topic, let us know by calling us at 904-358-6362, email us at health at wjct.org, or tag me at x at jserving. I'm Dr. Joe Servin, and you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9 Jacksonville. Thank you for listening, and stay in touch. Sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Is migraine impacting your life or daily activities four or more days per month? If so, ask your healthcare professional if you are a candidate for migraine prevention treatments and which ones might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com. The American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at AmericanBrainFoundation.org. And Rethreaded restores choice and breaks the cycle of generational trauma for survivors of human trafficking in Jacksonville, Florida, through business. You can help. Learn more about Rethreaded survivor-created goods at the storefront or rethreaded.com shop.